and welcome to a crazy week of uh, football and back to the Sports Me podcast. So crazy that we're missing one of our co-hosts. It's, you know, it's one of those weeks that have been in the footballing world. I am joined by Victor, who he seems like he's a little bit, you know, in a, with a bit of a smile today after the uh, craziness of the Merseyside derby. Uh, as mentioned, Catherine is not here as she is on international duty with England. Just kidding. She's on a um, busy with university, so uh, she couldn't make it today. You have Sam in the corner monitoring as usual. Victor, I think it was a great week for Catherine to be sidelined because I feel like there's a lot to be discussed in the Merseyside Derby, as much as we love her on, on our things. But I feel like this kind of podcast is going to be very Derby focused and we have a lot to get through. There's a lot of games, a lot of, you know, emotions. I think when I watched the full replay of the game, I could tell that there was a lot of emotion in the derby. It was definitely very heated. And I think, you know, some of the play, you could tell about that in regards to how the players were like reacting to various incidents. We have, you know, obviously red card. We had VAR controversy. It was, you know, very insane. But before I before I dive into wanting to hear what you're going to say about the derby, there's something that I read uh, before about the decision about the VAR with Pickman and also the offside. Someone mentioned something interesting. They said the following: We can't blame VAR. VAR is not the one that we blame. It's the rules of football. Utilizing VAR is the issue. Victor, what is your take on that in regards to the very incidents that happened uh, throughout the derby? Yeah, first, we, we definitely could spend about two hours just debating back and forth about the Derby. Um, that's just how insane it was. But I 100% agree with that. I have been saying that. I've sat down in a few debates on sports me, actually. But VAR isn't the issue. Like, it's the people implementing VAR as well as some of the rules, like the current handball rule, which was a mess that we talked about a few weeks back that they had to change, the offsides rule and the refs that are trying to implement it. The Premier League refs have just been a mess for a few years now. Like we probably have one good ref and it just kind of shows that like, this was just, this weekend just shows that the level of refereeing in the best league in the world is just not up to scratch. Exactly. And I think, you know, we, we saw in regards to the various incidents that happened. Let's, let's, let's break down some of these incidents. So we have the, of course, the uh, infamous uh, Jordan Pickman incident, which I've been saying it for weeks on this podcast. I don't know what's going into him. He, he, that tackle is, is, is deadly. And he should know that better than anyone after seeing Gomez and Son, Son's tackle last season and seeing how, you know, doing something like that can really end the career. And I was listening um, post-match about, um, about the whole incident and, and um, I can't remember which commentator it was. He, uh, he tore his ACL um, back when he was a player. And he said, Van Dyke was lucky. It was just an ACL. It could have been much worse. It could have been a career-ending injury. What are, your, what are your takes on the whole tackle um, in, on Van Dyke? It, it was terrible. Like, I know it's hard for someone to listen to someone like I'm obviously a Liverpool fan. I'm obviously really upset about the fact that our best center back, probably our most important player in the last few years got such a bad injury. But if it was the other way around, if it was Adrian on like Michael Keane, Adrian on DCL, on Hamas, on anyone, I'd be saying the same thing. Like that was a clear red. 
he should be missing at least three games for suspension. That was terrible. Like, that's just one of those tackles that, like, it shouldn't happen ever. And I just don't understand what was going through Pickford's head. I don't understand what was going through the referee's head when he didn't give at least a red for that. The whole, like, was he offsides to call a penalty? Like, that's a whole other story. Like, it was super tight. But I heard that the VAR ref didn't know or totally forgot the rule that you could still give a red after. Even though they called offsides, the fact that he went in the way he did, it's a clear red. Just because the play stopper and offsides doesn't mean that you can suddenly just go there, break someone's leg, and it's like, oh, he was offside, so it doesn't matter. Like, that's not how it works. You could still give a red for that. So it's just – it was just a bad tackle. It was just bad refereeing. Like, that whole sequence was just terrible, to put it like and, and it's crazy because, I, you know – I know Pickford may have made a few good saves and kept us in the game and various things, but I keep saying it. He's making more mistakes than he is making, you know, it worth it for us to keep him in the starting lineup. And 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 I mean, I was saying it in the Everton group, and feel free to uh, battle me on SportsMe. Um, at this uh, podcast is sponsored by SportsMe. Um, you know, just it, it, he should rest for a couple of weeks. I think having an international break, I think, you know, it was tough to travel. Um, and then to come and play a very heated derby, um, it's it's a lot. And I think he needs to take a two or three-week break and be ready for the United game. Because if he plays this weekend the way he did on um, against against Liverpool, it's going to be it's going to be uh, dreadful. The fact that you know we have Hamas Rodriguez is out. Um, that's been confirmed that he will not be taking part in this weekend's game against Southampton, which is a big loss. We have Richarlison who's out for three weeks. And now we have also Seamus Coleman who's going to be out for, I think, a week or two with an injury. This is this is the test now. This is to see how this Everton team can really come back from what it was. I'd also like to touch on the, um, the goal itself, uh, the disavowed goal. Um, look, I'm, I'm an Everton fan, so, you know, I might be a bit biased, but at the same time, I'm trying to be as fair as possible. And before VAR was instituted obviously this would have been 100% a goal no question but the VAI is the rules the rules are if he's offside regardless of whether it's by a hair or whether it's by the shirt or whatever it is in that rule that they have it's it's offside that's that's how I see it so how do, how do you see in the light of the rules and is it is it the rules that need to change or is it you know the way they implement the VAR and the decision um, well, firstly, I just want to touch on what you said about Pickford because I think the this game last weekend was the perfect example of who Pickford is as a goalkeeper because obviously there was that reckless tackle, should have been sent off, but at the same time, he kept you guys in the game. There was a save on Matip's header. I think we were 2-1 up at the time. And Matip had a great header, and he just had an incredible save because at that point, it's 3-1. We win that game. It's over. But he kept you guys in it, but then – in the 93rd minute that the disallowed goal, he totally messed up. That was that should have been an easy save, and he just totally messed it up. So I think that was a perfect example of how Pickford is just very hit or miss for you guys. So definitely a more consistent keeper would be needed. Um, And then the offsides on Mane, like, again, I'm all for VAR, and I'm all for the fact that if you are off by a hair, you're offsides. That's the rule. 
as frustrating as it is, I'm okay with it. The thing is that the, and what the controversy and like what the confusion with all Liverpool fans and even some analysts have been is where does the line get dropped? As in like, no, 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 no physical pun intended, but where does the line get drawn? <laughs> no, like literally, where does the line get drawn on the players? Like when they're doing VAR, because you look, um, like the Van Dyke one that we're talking about how he was offside. So he couldn't get a, um, a penalty. They drew it on his show on, on his elbow, but he can't score with his elbow. So why are they putting the line there? I'm looking at the Mane one right now, like on a split screen. It's all again on Mane's elbow, but Mina, who's the last player, it's on his shoulder. So, like, if you put it on Mina's elbow, they're on the same line. So that's where it's like, where do you put the little VAR line to determine if he's offsides or not? That's and where think- to me it's like frustrating. Like, even if this happened to any other football fan, I'd just be like, okay, we have to figure this out. It's just annoying that this happened to, like... I think, I think, I think something that, they, that VAR should do, um, I think, at the beginning of every season, they should have a VAR special, like an hour of just explaining all the rules and all the new things and how VAR actually operates and works. Because I feel like VAR is something that just came out out of nowhere and was implemented into the season... And people understand what it is, but people don't understand the technicality of VAR. And I think if someone came out with like an hour documentary or something with Q&A with the people that run VAR and just be like, this is what happens when this happens. This is what happens when this will happen. This will happen and that will happen. Fans will understand that when, you know, a decision like this happens, this is what will happen. So I think if, I don't know, Victor, if you agree with me, I think, you know, maybe that would be a uh, interesting idea for like the BBC or the Sky Sports just come out with an hour VAR, VAR explanation, you know, show and stuff like that. And just really get fans understanding what VAR is because we understand how referees work, but we don't, it seems like fans and even analysts don't understand how VAR works now. It's just becoming a crazy mess. Yeah, FIFA began because before um, the season, the FA was the one that was in control of VAR in England. But starting this season, it's been FIFA implementing it. So it's just us, the same like, way that VARs ran in all, like, all over the world. But the thing here is that just, like, it's, uh, again, just the offsides rule. And it's, so, like, what you learn as a kid growing up is the part of your body that you can score with in an offsides position. And again, you can't score from like elbow to your hand. So why are they marking the line there? Shouldn't the line be marked at the shoulder? So then it's like, why would like, that's just where the confusion is to me. And why a lot of Liverpool fans feel really hard done by with this decision, because it just doesn't make sense to me. Look, you know, I, you know, and that's, I think that's the beauty of football. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, whatever happened in the game, like, I'm, I'm still happy with the point. Um, I think we did really well to fight back. And, um, you know, we're still top of the league. That's, that's, that's you know, on, on, on our end. And, and, you know, that's, you know, um, I just want to give a, a shout out to um, Michael Keane, who's just been in phenomenal form. He just, I don't know where he's come out of this season. He's really stepped up to be in the fence. And I also like to give a shout out to um, TCL. He just, he's just phenomenal. He keeps on scoring and scoring. He scored when he wants, really. He is literally scoring every game. He's just, 
he, he's just, you know, a phenomenal player. And I think, you know, there have been rumors recently about him making a crazy move to Real Madrid, which I don't think is going to happen. But, um, you know, those are, I, love, I love the early season rumor mills. Yeah, um, I mean, like, we, we've been here for about 20 minutes, it feels like, and we haven't even talked about the game. Because controversy aside and everything, it was a great game. I think, as, as I we both predicted, this was one of the best Merseyside derbies in years, especially at Goodison Park, because those usually end 0-0. Um, it, it was just a good game between two really good sides. Um, talking about DCL, he was great. Um, this was the first time where I really like paid attention to him watching and just, he's incredible in the air. That second goal, especially that like, he literally just jumped like Ronaldo. Like I was not expecting that, how high up he got, how long he stayed in the air. Like that was generally really impressive. After Van Dyke came off, which was really early on, he just seemed to be winning aerial balls everywhere. You guys have a really good striker on your hands. Like it's really just that simple. Um, can he can he can he get twenty goals this season? It seems like it. Um, he's what the first Everton player to score in the first five games, right? In like 20, 30 years, I saw that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was more than I'm pretty sure it was like since like 1930s or oh, really? maybe yeah I think I think I think statistically it was like 1936. I'll i try and look up the statistic during this. Maybe podcast, that's where I got but... the number 30. <laughs> yeah, no, but like I don't see why not. Like if you look at someone like Danny Ings who gets that at like Southampton, then I don't see why DCL can't do that, especially when you guys have that added quality of Hamas who also really impressed me. Um, during the game, that corner he put in for Michael Keane was just beautiful. Um, so maybe to talk a bit more about Liverpool, because I've just been here praising Everton and I might get sick. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was nice to see us just back to our best after the shambolic performance against Aston Villa. I think that really just proved that that really was just a freak game. Um, Adrian didn't look terrible. Even even in the Ajax game uh, yesterday that we won 1-0 starting the Champions League, he didn't look that bad. Alisson should be back, though. Defensively, um, I was a bit worried after Van Dijk came off because, obviously, like, we don't have a replacement for arguably the best center back in the world. So I think anyone would feel that difference, especially, like, aerially. I don't think you guys scored that, cro- um, that corner with Van Dyke there, because Van Dyke just clears everything. So I think, obviously, that's just such a big miss for our season. But we still just looked really good. Um, you, touched, you, t- you touched very briefly on the um, – just before we, could, we, we got to wrap up to see other, other results and games, but you touched on the, um, the Champions League game against Ajax. I watched, I watched that game um, briefly, and I noticed uh, Jürgen did his uh, three subs – you know, after I think it was 60 minutes or 65 yeah, minutes when you're only one year up. What do, you, what do you make of that? Do you think that was pure genius? Do you think that was protest? Do you think that was risky move? What, you know, I, I, I didn't see Liverpool scoring after that. I think I asked where, you know, with David Carson, funny enough, he can't, couldn't, couldn't get a game in Everton. Somehow he's like taking shots yeah, at yeah. Liverpool. But um, yeah, I wanted to know what your thoughts were before we move on to the next game. Um. I liked it a lot, and a lot of Liverpool fans liked it because this is the first time where we have a like-for-like replacement that is good in each position. 
like Minamino comes on for, for, for Mino, Jota for Mane, and Shakiri for Salah. And obviously the quality drops a bit, but not to the level of where it would have before. Like I remember years ago when we lost in the Champions League final to Madrid and uh, Salah came off and we put uh, Oxley chamberlain on the wing and it was just bad. Like, it was nowhere near that level. So, it's just nice to have a change. And it just seemed like they definitely knew it was going to be happening. The fact that it happened exactly on 60 minutes, it was definitely planned. And it's just we have to monitor the minutes. They play a lot. We've had some big injuries. So, it's just after 60 minutes, just take them off. Let them rest. We have a huge season. And just one more thing before we do move on. We're totally <laughs> playing that Richarlison tackle. Because we're ta- we spent all that time talking about how the Pickford tackle was bad. Look, I think, like. look and, and I think that's why he got sanctioned. And I think that's why I didn't want to touch on it that much. Because I think he got the red card and he got his free game match bad. I think, you know, that's a fair result. You know, tackles like that are just reckless. I think from any player around the world doing any kind of tackle like that is reckless and they should know that not to uh, do it and just to before we do wrap this up that statistic was um Howard Lauren is the first player to score in five is the first Everton player to score in five consecutive games since 1938 89 38 to 39 season and that player was Tommy Lawton who we probably never heard of until that statistic came up uh, again now moving on to the next game which was another feisty and exciting game and and I, I could not have been happier for the Hammers. Hammers were Spurs, 3-3. It was one of those phenomenal games of football. Song and Kane and Gareth Bale's return. It, he, he had the chance to secure the game. I don't know if he watched the victor, but... Yeah, I saw the highlight. He, he had the chance to secure the game with one of his Bale signature moves. It didn't happen. And who better to come up and score the winner Lanzini was one of a phenomenal pull. It was, in my opinion, could go down as goal of the season. It was just, it was pin, it was pin perfect in the corner. You couldn't get any better than that. Victor, what do you make? What do you make of this? What do you, firstly, what do you make of the Son Kane? And do you think Bale was a bit lost in his return? Do you think he should have come on at half time? What do you make of this punishment? Do you and and do you get full credit to West Ham? Um, yeah, you have to give full credit to West Ham. You don't come back from 3-0 down away from home. I guess the Mourinho side, easily. Like, you got to give credit to West Ham. Um, Spurs looked amazing in the beginning. Again, I don't watch the full game, so I, like, can't say too much on it. But Son and Harry Kane, the way they've started this season is just insane. It is absolutely insane. Um, I think Harry Kane, I don't remember the exact number, but he has the most goal contributions in Premier League history in the first five games. I think it's about eight or nine goals and assists. And just seems to be Kane to Son, Son to Kane every single game at this point. And they're really forming a partnership that it kind of reminds me of 2013-2014 Liverpool with SAS, Suarez and Sturridge, the way that they used to link up. And they almost single-handedly brought us to the title that year. But Bale, I don't like – obviously, there have been the memes online about how Bale came on and they lost the game. It's, it's not on him. Obviously, it's not that simple. He – I think what we saw was exactly what we've been saying is the quality is there, but it's going to take him time to just get that match sharpness up. And I think the play that you're talking about completely showed that. It was a perfect little bit of skill to get open. It was beautiful. 
but just that little bit of mat sharpness missing to just slot it into the bottom corner. So I think that kind of shows like if Spurs won this game three, two, three, one, we're talking about like, oh, like Bill missed that chance, but he just looks so good. Lanzini scores that one that'll go in the 94th minute, and so we're like, oh, like is Bill gonna be that good? It's just that's just how this sport works. Like it's just a thing about narrative. And if but, we if we look at if we look at statistics just throughout the match, you can see 11 shots Spurs, 13 shots West Ham. Um, possession was pretty even, passing. Um, and also just another cool statistic, uh, it took Spurs three, 16 minutes to score three goals, but it took West Ham to score three goals, 12 minutes. And it's just, it's going to go down as one of the games of the season. I don't know, Victor, if you agree. Yeah, no, for sure. That This was an incredible comeback. Scoring 82nd, 85th, and 94th. And like you said, Lanzini's goal was just incredible. Um, I just wonder if maybe Mourinho might change something up or like if this, this was just a, like a result where if they kept their foot on the gas, like they started off and they just won, like they would have beaten Man U 6-1. They would have had a huge one here. And maybe you start talking about Spurs as a potential title winner. Literally 16 minutes into the game, 3-0 up, people are like, can Spurs maybe, are they a dark horse for the title? And then 94th minute, suddenly it's 3-3 and like everything changes. And it's just such a Spurs thing to do. <laughs> like, it just seems like, Spurs just have like a like a mental block. There's just something there that just doesn't allow them to win a title. Doesn't allow them to just hold on to a three no lead in the 82nd minute. There's just something there, similar to maybe Arsenal a few years ago when they started declining. Liverpool a few years ago before Klopp came in, we lost two finals and then suddenly we win that one and we just bring it to that next level. So it. It's it's tough for Spurs because they look amazing going forward, but they need to fix up that defensive bit. No, I totally agree. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether Bale gets a proper starting next next game and seeing if he'll, you know, start and, and what he can bring for a full 90 minutes of football. Yeah, moving on to the next game, which, you know, another phenomenal game, another incredible result. This week has just, it just they just keep on coming. Chelsea 3, Southampton 3. Tim Iwana scored his first two goals for Chelsea, which, you know, it's, it's great to see him get up the mark. Danny Younes, Chanham, Janik Vestagen scores for, uh, sorry, Vestagard scores for Southampton, but Kai Havertz as well scored for Chelsea. It was an interesting game. I, I, I watched the full replay and, and I could tell that Southampton really wanted to press and Chelsea are just being very inconsistent. Victor, I didn't know if you noticed that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of nervous coming against a Southampton team that just drawn me about Chelsea this week, especially with the players that we are out. What do you, what do you make of Chelsea? Do you think do you think it's Lampard? Is there something that he's doing with a team that just doesn't seem to be working? What what, what do you make of Chelsea? Um, I, I kind of wish uh, Catherine was here now just to get a bit more in <laughs> the game. But, um... Chelsea. Shout out Catherine if you're watching. Yeah. Um, they kind of just look like your typical side who are still gelling. They made a lot of signings. Preseason wasn't very long due to COVID. So I think they're still kind of just gelling, especially defensively with their new signings like Chilwell and stuff. Like that's where it takes a bit of time to really gel because when, you, when you're an attacking player, it's easier for you to go into a new team because it's just like – score like that's it but defensively you have to communicate a lot more there's just a lot 
It's just different. Um, Werner looked really good for the first time. Like this was the first game where Werner, he scored two beautiful goals. Um, Havertz getting on the score sheet as well. But again, similar to, um, to Spurs, they just don't look that good defensively. Kepa obviously had to play this game and he looked terrible again. He had a huge mistake again, which just seems to be the same old story every time he plays. So whenever Mendy comes back, that will obviously be a huge boost for them. But I think it might be too early, but you might have to start questioning Lampard if this goes on for a while. Just because, like, Lampard, obviously, it's a bit similar to Ole at Man U, club legend. So he gets a bit more, like, wiggle room when he messes up. Like, if you're Roman Abramovich and you just have some random manager and you give up, a like, a lead to a team like Southampton and you're just sitting in eighth place after five games, the pressure would be on because that's just how Chelsea are. Chelsea are, it's either we win the league, minimum top four. But Chelsea, first five games of the season, two wins, two draws, one loss, and it's just, like, no one's really talking about it because it's Lampard. So I think we may see him lose his job if this keeps up. But the question, the question I wonder is: we have we have phenomenal managers sitting on the sideline. We have Wenger, we have Pochettino. Like, can we see them? It would be crazy to see. Imagine seeing. Hell no. Imagine seeing Pochettino at, at United or Chelsea will just be a, a, a that would, that would just really spark the season again. That'll be headlines everywhere if that if that really happened and i think you know it's 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 just crazy seeing the another another two games that i want to touch on before we finish uh one is uh seeing city um you know getting back to winning ways it's something interesting that one of the commentators said um you know in one of the games i was watching that you know getting a one near result just even if it's one goal and a clean clean sheet can really kickstart a season oh, wow. and really and really kind of you know boost the confidence back in the city because you know we all thought they were going to be a force we reckon with but the start has just been sloppy and you know obviously it's a long season you can see what happens in the second game that I wanted to touch on was United we gave them we gave them a lot of slack last week about their performance I think Ole especially in the Champions League and um, and you know in the Premier League with their four one victory and a, and a surprise victory as well um what do you make of them do you think do you think united are back or do we is it too early to tell is it, is it too inconsistent it's it's only been like it hasn't even been 10 games and so much has happened it feels like yeah. it feels like we're already they're already halfway through the season but we're literally only like six not even seven games in it's crazy yeah I, I think that's just because there was such a short overturn from like the last season to this season just to touch on the man city arsenal game real quick it um Entity didn't look that good again, but it's like what you said. I agree. Like a one nil <laughs> one nil win against a good Arsenal team, you keep a clean sheet. It's similar to how I felt with the uh, Liverpool Ajax game yesterday. We didn't play well, but I'm much happier with that than like a three two or two one, just because losing Van Dyke, we still don't have Adi, so we kept a clean sheet. Man City's problem has been their defense, and they kept a clean sheet against a team with one of the best strikers in the world in the Bumming. So that could definitely kick start their season. And I'm like looking at the standings, and they have a game in hand. They win that game. They're level on points with us in third place. So I, I think that was definitely a huge result for them. Um, Man U, not back. Definitely not. 
I feel like this this is exactly what happened with Ole when he first joined. They had that miracle win in Paris, and everyone was like, always at the wheel. Ferdinand had the whole famous like speech ball, just give him whatever contract he wants, let him write the numbers. And then it just all went downhill. Like, oh, he just seems to get these results that just keep him in a job for a few more weeks, few more weeks, and then they go on a bad run again. And then they go have this huge win in the Champions League or they have a huge win against a sock, uh, top six side. And it's like, it's Man U back. And he just keeps his job. Like, no one, it's, it's, like, no it, one it, expected it, that win against PSG. It's a huge win, but it's just, 100%. I don't think it really means much. And I know, I know this is a Premier League-only podcast, but we have to shout out to Bayern Munich. They're just, oh they're, just they're just, I, I, there's, there's like, there's like crappy football, really good football, Premier League, and then Bayern is just like, it's kind of like, you know, when it came to like tennis, like, you know how there's like the big three in the tennis, and they just win everything. Bayern are just like becoming that force. And it, it's, it's scary because I, I don't, I don't see them like really losing much. They, that was insane. I don't know if any of you watched that game. Sam, um, who's uh, just joined us, back, joined back with us. Um, what did you make of the Bayern game? I don't know if you watched any of the of the highlights of the goals. Do you think Bayern is uh, is in for a chance of winning it back to back? I think they can definitely go back to back. I was actually watching it um, yesterday. They had it like a like an NFL red zone type of format where they had showed all the games and all the live highlight and Bayern Munich just looked unstoppable. Um, I think the third goal was just an amazing 35 yard strike. Uh, that was insane. So uh, can they go back to back? Absolutely. Do I think they will? Yeah, I think they will. hundred percent. It's, it's tough. They just look, they look so much better than everybody else to be honest. It's really tough to go back to back in the champions league. And the thing is that, it's such a long competition that it's like you can be amazing now, but who knows what hap- how you're going to look like towards the end of the season. Also only one game, so I do understand that, but they look really good. It's, so. it's not even that because they ha- they won the Super Cup. They beat Schalke 8-0 in the week, but at the same time, they also had their freak result somewhere to Liverpool where they mm-hmm. won 4-1 to Hoffenheim. So it's like oh, – yeah. it, that's just the beauty of the sport. We don't know what's going to happen. But with that being said, I went into the season – with um, them as favorites, Liverpool close favorites, but with us losing Van Dyke, if we don't sign a like world class center back in January, I think Bayern are the clear favorites just because everyone else doesn't look that good. Like Madrid don't look that good, um, uh, Barca don't look that good, Man City, I never rate them in the Champions League because Barca are ninth, they lost against Katapi, like, like. I knew what was going to happen with, with, with Koeman joining. Like, he's not a manager. He just – he can't manage a tough Madrid one. lost to Shakhtar when Shakhtar had 10 of their starters <laughs> missing due to COVID. Like, it's just such a crazy season. And it's just – and it's just going to get crazy and crazy. One last shout-out before we uh, go to our, our hot class of the week. Um, Aston Villa, wow. They've just, um, you know, come out of nowhere, come really – really coming to play in this year's Premier League. And Ross Barkley, he's, he's really proving a point. To, he's really, you know, showing the point to prove. And, um, you know, tomorrow they play they play Leeds, which I think will be a phenomenal test of the game to see where they really stand with, you know, Leeds performance and stuff like that. What do you make of it? It just It's, it's phenomenal to see Villa just come out of nowhere. And, and I think they are gelling really well. 
Yeah, I mean, I was someone who thought they were going to get relegated at the beginning of the season. So I'm already going to hold my hands up and say I got that one completely wrong because <laughs> they just look really good. I, like, they looked terrible last season. They were lucky to stay up. But this season, they just look amazing. Four games, four wins, 12 goals scored, two goals conceded. And those two goals conceded were when they beat a 7-2. <laughs> so it's just, we just look really good. Ross Barkley scored a great goal also at the end. I could see them definitely top half if they keep this up. But if they keep up this type of form, I don't see why. Them and Everton could be fighting for top six spot, which is crazy when you see that, like, Leicester are also up there. There's Wolves. Like, this is just a really – It's not going to be a classic top six this year. That's, what I, that's definitely what I can see happening. It's not going to be a classic top six. There's going to be new teams coming up, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens throughout the season. Just – just two hot fuzzes that I have, and then Victor, I'm not sure what you have this week. Uh, one of mine is this this constant annoyingness of this European Super League that I read up this week. I don't know, Victor, if you read about it. What it, it's why are they trying to just constantly change tradition? It just it, it's really bothering me the fact that they constantly want to make more money, make more entertainment, ruin the ruin the tradition that we have. I don't know, and and it's and it seems like it's something that Liverpool and Man United and because they want more money. It was like the um the uh, project that was done a couple weeks ago that was that was declined. What's happening? Why do they constantly want this? What what good will this do to football? Um, it, this would be terrible for football. I I made a battle on this on Sports Me actually, and I'm totally against it. I think every single real football fan out there is against it. It's a money grab and. It's there's a ridiculous amount of money. You're talking about 4.6 billion pounds, six billion dollars from JP Morgan going into this. Which so it's like putting everything aside and putting yourself in like a business perspective and say you own it, like you own one of these clubs. It's like yeah, like who would say no to a six billion dollar like six trillion dollar billion whatever the numbers are insane six billion dollar competition. Like it's. Like, you wouldn't say no. But something really interesting that I saw um, uh, on, like, a discussion post about it on Reddit. Someone mentioned that it's Liverpool and um, and Man U that always seem to be getting involved in this, as you said. And what do both clubs have um, in common from a business perspective? American owners. And this just seems like an American type of, like, thing because the European Super League the 18 clubs who are founding won't get relegated for about 20 years and it's just an insane amount of money there would be no like competitive balance basically anymore in the normal leagues because you would have one like there's already a disparity between like say like Bayern Munich PSG because of how much money they have imagine if they're playing in a competition where you're making hundreds of millions of dollars extra so it's, it's just it's an it's American it's an American idea. It's similar to that uh, to the way the NBA is the MLS. There's no relegation. It's the same teams. Well, that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing I find about American sports that bothers me a lot. And and if they have American sports has the potential to have this relegation system, like teams like the Knicks and the Mets, like they they they, they they're just they had to make up the teams. The Jets the, the Jets have had to make up the teams. Like they're just why why are they why are they why, why, why do they play? Imagine, imagine they got, imagine they actually got relegated and had to fight to be back in the actual NFL. Like, 
American teams have should be having this implementation of this system of having a promotion relegation. I think it would make it so much more exciting for American sports, and they're just missing out. Sam, being probably the American here, you can kind of chime in. Do you think that you know promotion relegation should exist? I think I made a battle on, on sports yeah. a while ago about it, but what, why is it that it doesn't exist? And you know, why hasn't someone thought, hey, let's try implementing it, bring it in? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't exist because um, I, there's just more money involved in America versus the UK versus Europe in general. I mean, the Knicks are in the top 10 and most valued teams in the world. Um, the New York Giants are second in the NFL to the Dallas Cowboys, and they're both trash, right? So the end of the day, the money aspect, I think, is the biggest reason. <clears throat> and also, like, um, I just don't think you have enough of a fan base that's as diehard as uh, the Premier League and as well as uh, soccer in the UK in general. I think there's so many different um, – there's so many different sports here. There's so much different variety. And as well, like, as I've noticed over the years, corporate has taken over a lot, unfortunately. Um, you see it in, in terms of uh, stadiums, in terms of banners, in terms of the games in general. Uh, this, I think the diehard concept of a fan is slowly dying, which is not the best in the world. But at the end of the day, money talks. And I wish they would 100%. have a relegation system. That would be great. Um, I just don't know how they would implement it in the NFL or in basketball. There's just so many teams and you know, basketball. Well, all, you, all, you, all you do is you split, you split it down the middle and be like, you're promoted, you're relegated, fighting out next season, and just drawing out of a hat. And, you know, that's how it could work. Um, one other thing I want to bring up before Victor, you can give your hot fives, Mesut Ozil, it's, it's such a sad story because I'm, I'm reading his tweets right now. He's still a very passionate gunner. And, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's sad to see a player of his quality just be left out like that and not really been told why and and you know i'm wondering if there was you know a raffle between him and arteta when they used to play and you know being a manager and arteta has come out saying that he takes full responsibility like that like you know i i know you don't play at like a academy or that style level but you do play you, you have played football and you play for teams have you ever been left out of a team and then not playing and how is that or have you seen friends of yours and you know that have done that how has that made them feel and like what's what do you think the mentality is and what, what do you think is happening with Ozil in regards to this whole situation? And how I, I just don't understand how it works that you can have a contract with a player and just not register him. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, especially the money that he's on. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, I've had some instances with like myself and like friends who are like annoyed about not playing, but this is just totally different because <laughs> obviously like, None of us were on whatever contract those was on, 200, 300K a week. It, it doesn't make sense to me because, A, you're still paying him that amount of money. B, I think he's still really good. I, um, like, we've talked, and there's been so many us talk about, like, the death of the traditional number 10. But you've seen Hamas at Everton and what a player of that quality can do. Like, even in the Merseyside Derby, like, um, I think you were the one who sent the thing about like the tactical analysis. I'm pretty sure you sent that to me. And like Hamas doesn't do as much tracking back, but 
just what he brings to you guys in a creative sense going forward makes up for that. And that's just what a classic number 10 does. And Ozil's a similar thing. And just like, I guess he doesn't fit Arteta's style of play, but why not just have him on the bench? You're losing 1-0 against Man City and like they subbed on Thomas Partey. But why not sub on Ozil and just have a world-class number 10 feeding through balls into Aubameyang and just helping break down the side. You're playing against a Burnley side who have 11 men behind the ball and you need to unlock that little bit of space. Ozil's been doing that. Ozil has won a World Cup doing that. Ozil has won Champions League doing that. So it it makes no sense to me. Like, I, I also just feel really bad for him. But and and I and I, I and I think it's something that should really be implemented in the rules. If if you're on a under contract and you're deregistered for the season, you should be allowed to talk to other clubs. It's simple. It's not fair that he now, according to play that he is at 32, has to sit on the sidelines and only be used for like what EFL games and FA Cup games. Like it's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous too. Like he still has a quality to. Wait. We won't take him on the bench just like to be a you know as like a support system for ten minutes. Come on, like we'll take him. Obviously his salary is good, but I'll be happy to take him. I know a lot of people disagree with me in the Everton group, but I'll be very happy to take him. Yeah, no, um, like I'm like thinking about it because he's still not that old. I don't. I I obviously want to take him out Liverpool because like we're just we're obviously a different level at compared to Everton. No offense. But yeah. at 32 years of age, you gotta still, him. <laughs> and then like, he's never been like, he's never needed to run much. Like, it's not like he's just like super like dead from running like 15 kilometers every game. He could definitely go to like a Leicester and do a job or Wolves. Like, like I still think he can do a job at Arsenal. So I, I don't, I don't see why he hasn't, tried to leave i don't see why he hasn't just been like okay you guys don't want me here i'm gonna rip up my contract the only thing i can think of is it's similar to a bill situation where he's just making so much money that he's happy taking home his 300k a week and i kind of don't blame him at that <laughs> but, <laughs> he, he, he wouldn't be happy taking 300k a week just like being like that's that's a porsche here a porsche there you know yeah, really sure show up training and that's it but I would, I would honestly love for Ozo to do again. I, it, I keep bringing up Hamas because I feel like it's such a similar situation. Like same position, Zidane just wasn't using him, and he's went to, he took a bit of a step down, a lot of a step down. Real Madrid to Everton, a step down, and he's <laughs> showing that he still has the quality to be the best player in a like lower level team, and he's having a great season, and he's helped bring Everton from that like struggling to even get mid-table these recent years to suddenly five games into the season, they're in first place. So I'd love to see something similar. 100%. And uh, shout out to Ozil. We, uh, we hope that you uh, get the justice that is served. Uh, Victor, what is your hot fires if you have one for this week? Uh, you seem to be out of hot fires because I feel like you get so heated in the podcast that you're just like, you know, don't even remember what to what to bring to it. But uh, what is what is your hot fires? No, I actually do have one. I'm just... I'll, I'll, I'll mention two things. I'll mention one for Catherine since she's not here. I just thought it was super cool how um, Petr Cech was included as the emergency backup for Chelsea's Premier League squad. That was amazing to me. I thought that was so funny. Just because he's 
they are working like at the board and they're like, hey, like just in case your keepers get injured, could you get a net for us again? Like I just think <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and, 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 it, and it has happened. I've seen games where like, you know, I, I can't remember which game it was, but they brought on three keepers. I can't even remember what it was. There was one game and it wasn't, I'm going to look it up on next week's podcast. Stay tuned. It was definitely a game that I remember watching where three keepers came on and it was just insane. I think I think even a defender had to come on or there was something, there was something, maybe that could be a battle. Have you ever seen a game where a defender has come on as a goalkeeper instead and, you know, stuff like that? Sorry, Big Dad, I was saying I interrupted. Yeah, I know. Like, it, we saw it happen with Kyle Walker in the Champions League. Like, these things happen, but that was because they were out of subs, obviously. But if they have, like, a crazy injury crisis, it could be the first, like we've seen player managers in the past, but like a technical director, like Wayne Rooney. Player. Yeah, yeah, Rooney's doing it, but he's a coach, at least. Like we've seen, we've seen even a coach. He's just like literally on like the board of directors. We've seen, um, we've seen Igor Davis start doing it for Barnett in the in the lower leagues. Uh, he he was a player yeah. manager and also played on. You know, it has happened, but I, it's a weird concept to have in such a like the Premier League, like to have a player manager and just, I don't think it would happen. Maybe that's another battle. Do you think player managers should become a thing in the future? Like, let's look at the NFL. I know this is a football podcast, but Tom Brady, if he was like a, play, a, man, a, a coach and then playing quarterback at the same time, would that work? Who knows? Like, I, I, I don't know how that would work in American sports. Um, you said you had one more. Yeah, so my, my actual hot buzz for this week is um, Fabinho. Just Fabinho. Because he was amazing at the Derby playing defensive mid he was incredible and then Van Dyke got hurt he just looked amazing at center back he played center back against Chelsea was incredible I remember him playing center back against Bayern Munich two years ago when we won the Champions League he pocketed Lewandowski and then yesterday at Ajax he just didn't put a foot wrong him him Robertson Gomez also played really well but Fabinho was mine and a lot of people's man of the match and it's just amazing to me how he went from being, in my opinion, one of the best center defensive mids in the world to just swatting into center back like it's nothing. And it was like he used to play right back at Monaco, never played center back, and he's just been incredible every time he's played center back for us. So that definitely calmed me down a bit about the whole Van Dyke situation. Obviously, I still rather have him back because he's just Van Dyke, but it's made me a lot more confident in what we can do going forward. Like, cause there were talks about like, Oh, like wh- what are we going to do now defensively? Like, can we even challenge for the title? I think we definitely can. Un- and just until January, because I think we should still go for another center. back. we were linked with a center back before the Van Dyke injury. So I think we'll definitely bring in another natural center back in January. But from now to January, I'm totally confident with Fabinho at center back. And he's just made me feel a lot better. I just don't coming back also will make me feel a lot better in that. So I'm totally like more relaxed about the whole situation now. Um, I, I guess that's why I'm calmer because if we just lost like five zero to Ajax yesterday I was just more like I hope Pickford never plays football ever again for what he did to Van Dyke but Fabinho did well so he's the he's my little hot buzz for the week for sure we also have some really coming up this weekend Manu and Chelsea specifically I'm excited Manu and Chelsea we have you know West Ham West Ham City uh, Everton, Southampton, it's going to Arsenal, Leicester, Liverpool, Sheffield, Wolves, Newcastle, Brighton, West Brom, 
Burnley, Tottenham, Fulham and Crystal Palace. It's just going to be another phenomenal weekend. We're just going to be, you know, going crazy next week or over something. It's just the weeks are going long. The weeks feel long, but the games just feel like it just, it's crazy how, how crazy this season is going to be. And on that note, that is all we have time for in this week's Soccer Sports Week podcast. Victor, Sam, thank you. It was a pleasure as always, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Tune in for an exciting edition of our team.